Welcome to the How Soccer Explains Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership principles through the lens of the beautiful game. Welcome back to How Soccer Explains Leadership. Thanks again for being a part of this great conversation that we get to have about the game that we love with people all over the world of soccer. And so today, that is you know, absolutely no exception. As, as usual, got a great guest. Before I get there, I'm Phil Dark. If this is your first foray into this podcast, I'm the host and Paul Jobson, my co-host and trusty, trusted friend. Paul, how you doing? Doing great, Phil. Great to be back uh, with you again. This is becoming a habit of us being together and doing these. It's been a lot of fun and obviously super excited about uh, the guest we have before us today as well. So I'm excited about a great conversation ahead, my man. Yeah. So why don't you tell us about it? Because I know like a few days ago, you you know reached out to me. You said, Phil, we got it. We got to get Dave on because I just had a great conversation with him. And uh, I want to talk with him about some of these uh, cool things that are coming our way. So what? who do we have and, and what are we going to be talking about? So today we have Dave Simeone on, and he and I go way back. In fact, like most people that I know in the soccer community, he's known my wife longer than he's known me, yeah. which is pretty typical. That's just how yep. it works these days with me. But Dave is is a, is a figurehead in the U.S. soccer community, big into the, the soccer coaching education piece of things. And we're going to talk a lot about that and is most recently involved with United Soccer Coaches uh, with the coaching education. So we're going to dive way into that. And I just think uh, bringing Dave on, he's got a ton of experience in the game of soccer here in the U.S. and abroad, uh, can just bring us a lot of experience uh, and knowledge to the game and how uh, soccer explains leadership. I mean, I think he's seen it all and done it all uh, in the game. So somebody we can glean a lot from. Awesome. Well, let's get to it. Hey, Dave, glad to have you with us, man. Appreciate you being here. And uh, how are you? Everything is just... It's amped up here in Kansas City. I can tell you that since the Labor Day weekend and just everything in the office has just gotten amped up every day as everyone in our various departments are getting ready for the convention in Philadelphia. And it's just busy. It's great, but it's busy. Yeah, I'm sure things are are really ramping up, especially with that convention coming up. And we can talk a little bit about it. We've mentioned it here a lot on the show. In fact, after the last convention... Phil and I really started hitting the ground running with a lot of guests that we met at the convention yeah. uh, as well. After we so, thawed. After we thawed out, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, because we walked a lot, you know, outside, so we, we had to thaw <laughs> out. But, but a lot of fun. It's always a great, great event for sure. So I'm sure things are definitely ramping up with you, with you guys, Dave. Dave, we talked a little bit about, about you at the beginning, but really want to hear from you specifically. If you could just share with us, we do this with our guests so we can get to know you a little bit. Just what's, what's kind of your soccer story? Like, how'd you get into the game? Just kind of take us through a little bit of your path in the game of soccer, how you developed your passion for it, and how it's kind of led you to to where you are today. Well, it's kind of interesting, you know, it wasn't wasn't like growing up in Northeastern Ohio, which was at that point so inundated with American football, but within the ethnic communities, there was a pretty sizable presence of soccer, whether it was the Italians or the Ukrainians. And my father was Italian. My mother was Slovene and a lot of Serbians, a lot of Croatians. And so that's where the game kind of had its inception for me is watching a bunch of guys kick a ball around and just being, I think I was seven or eight years old and just being mystified. And I'd never seen it before. You have to remember that it, 
at that time, soccer was not on TV every day. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have cable. So seeing this game played without any point of reference, it was, it was, it opened up a whole new realm. And uh, of course, it wasn't as suburbanized. So the soccer we played as kids mainly was street soccer or up at the playground. I lived a block off of a public school. So by the time getting into my adolescence and getting into my 16, 17 year old kind of phase, getting connected in with a men's Ukrainian team. And that whole experience of playing with guys that were six, eight, 10, 12 years older than myself and the dynamics of that. And then, so it, it's, it's funny. I don't think I ever had an idea at that point that I would end up in the game and that it would be both a passion and a profession for me. So that didn't really kind of get codified until the early 1980s. I was still living in Colorado after college. I was dabbling in coaching and actually met Shellis Hyman. He was at Eastern Illinois at that time. Mm -hmm. He was just the NCAA Division I Coach of the Year. We were <laughs> working a soccer camp together with Artie Wachter, the NASL referee. We were in Vail. And over the course of that time, he's, he, he really pushed me into graduate school. He said, look, you know, you have to... You, you need to be in the college game. I have some connections. And I was, I was like, Shellis, why do I need to go to graduate school? <laughs> you know, I was really not very excited about it at first. And so he contacted me after the summer sometime. And he said, all right. He said, there's a men's NAIA program. They're in the top half dozen in the country at Midwestern State University. I know the coach, Howard Patterson. He's He's ready to talk to you, he said, but, you know, you got to pick up the phone. So I did. And I didn't know at that time how many doors that was going to open for me because working with Howard was great. He was an accomplished and very, very proficient collegiate coach. And tangentially, I mean, that at that time, getting to know John Cossaboon in North Texas and getting to work, him bringing me into the state teams programs. It didn't hurt that, you know, Mia Hamm kind of fell into my lap when she was 14 years old. And that connected some dots with other people like Anson, who was the national coach at that time, Michael Cavone, who was the regional coach. And it just started a series of events where I was lucky enough to get in with good people, beginning with Shellis, and then great opportunity at that time in North Texas when you look at the pedigree of players that was being produced in the clubs through ODP, in the youth and senior national teams. It was just, it was unparalleled. I'd, I'd never seen anything like this. Of course, you know, Dallas was the emerging market, but when you look at the history of the game, all you had to do was kind of go to St. Louis. That would have been a pretty prolific environment to find players in or Chicago. And so that opened a lot of doors for me in the ensuing years through 
becoming a state director of coaching for 10 years between South Texas and North Texas. I think the accessibility and getting to work with people like Bob Gansler early on in my career, he was incredibly influential and the doors that he opened for me and with opportunities. And, and then of course, getting to work with great people like Tony DiCicco and all of the staff that was involved, Jay Hoffman, Lauren Gregg, Jeff Pill, Stephanie Gabbard. I mean, it was a great time to be involved. And the staff was of the quality and of the pedigree. I mean, you could, you could learn and you could learn from each other. So th that's kind of the, the way I got to a point, at least after the Olympics in 2004, when I left the full federation, my full-time position, and just started operating and coaching and managing within mainly high-performance clubs. So it's it it's been a journey in some ways in the beginning, pretty unassuming because if somebody would have said to me in my twenties, Oh yeah, you know, you're going to, you're going to end up in a game. You're going to end up coaching. You're going to end up in these. I would, I just didn't see that on the radar, but falling in with the right people, the right influences, the timing was superb. And I thank my lucky stars because of it. Yeah. And I think there's, there's some great, I mean, first of all, you just listed off like, the history of U.S. soccer and some of the names and people that you kind of fell in line with. And, and it started with Shellis. I mean, I would love to know how many people started with Shellis Hyman. I mean, I, oh, I just hear yeah. that over and over and over again. And, yeah. you know, what a, first of all, just an amazing man. I mean, just yeah. uh, not just a yes. great coach, but just an amazing man. What he's done for uh, so many different people in the game of soccer on its own could be its own series of podcasts, I I'm sure. But just some of the people that you've, you've fallen in line with. But I think one thing that hasn't changed about the game, and we talked about the conventional a little bit i'm sure we'll mention it again but the thing about the game is that 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 hasn't changed but what you did is you when you had that opportunity to pick up the phone you did it and i think that's where some coaches miss these opportunities they would rather you know let's connect through linkedin or let's connect through social media but let's hey sometimes you just got to pick up the phone and who knows yeah. where that'll that next phone call will lead and i think that's a great i don't want that to be missed on anybody in this in the beginning of like this is a great lesson for young coaches that i'm sure you get calls all the time i'm getting calls hey how do i get the next thing well you know that's usually through social media hey pick up the phone here's an introduction so i don't want that to be missed on our young coaches that listen to yeah. this it's it's fantastic and just the 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 line that that's led and now i'm sure that and we'll talk about this later too you probably have and continue to do the same for for so many so Love that. You said your story is unique. Everybody's is unique. And that's what's sure. fun about, about doing this. On that note, Paul, before I know you, we want to get in a little bit about the education and director and how he got to be getting involved with a lot of the education stuff that we're talking about. But I, I say to this stuff, people all the time, because I'm a connector, right? And as a connector, I obviously need to connect with people and you just hit it right on the head better than phone. If you can actually get an in-person meeting, that's the idea. We were just talking about that before we recorded here. But I think there's this myth that people aren't accessible because they have a big name or they have a high profile position or whatever. People are accessible if it makes sense for them. Yeah. And, and if it makes sense for, for you and it makes sense for you to know them, if they know why it makes sense, they'll make time, most people. And if they don't, chances are they're not people you really want to be working with anyway. So to really remember that people are accessible, but you need to actually put yourself out there because they don't know who you are if you don't right. reach out. 
And so anyway, so that's, that's just something I wanted to add to that little, that little bit there. Anything to add on that, Dave, as far as your, your experience? No, I think you're absolutely correct. I don't, I think you need a certain degree of initiative and confidence, and you may have to go through one Mm -hmm. or two people in order to get a conversation. But what I've found people will make time for you if they, if they understand what you're trying to get out of it. You have a clear idea. They may not give you 30 minutes. They may give you three minutes, Mm -hmm. but they may connect you with someone else that's pivotal in the whole process. That's right. right. Absolutely. That's that right there was worth the price of admission, folks. So, uh, (laughs) you know, we will, we'll get into the education, you know, from coaching, you've been able to get into education. You've been able to now be the United Soccer Coaches Director of Education for, you know, for coaching. And we'll get into a lot more of that here during this interview. But one of the things I want to, you talked about your coaching career and how, you you know, you were able to move all the way up to the national team and, and, but you've coached at every level. And this is something I always like to talk to coaches about is what, what level of, 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 of the different teams did you enjoy coaching the most and what made it so special? Well, I think when the state teams programs, Olympic development was up and running and the pathway into the youth national teams, it was a big job in both South Texas and North Texas. So the ability to put an organization around it, assemble a staff, try and provide some continuity in an identification and selection process, and then finally getting your final 28 or 30 kids into a pool and then I'd have to say in North Texas, some of the most fun that we had was we trained our state teams 25, 26, 27, 28 times a year. Hmm. We were built that way. We had expectations to put kids into the national teams versus there were states that saw their kids a couple of times for tryouts and a couple of times for training and they went to regional camp. So <clears throat> excuse me, we put in uh, scouting and just that was fun because you could see it go from this big wide net being cast into a final product of 18 or so kids that, and then coming out of regional camp and having nine or 10 kids in an age group selected into the regional pool and maybe already one or two of those kids, maybe more, were involved in youth national teams like the 84s and the 85 girls, for instance. Kelly Wilson, Sarah Huffman, Carrie Hanks were all in the U19 national team that assisted Tracy Bates Leone with and on her staff. And so I saw those kids as players in North Texas. I saw them in the state team. I saw them in the region team. And then I was with them in the national team when we won the U19 World Cup in 2002 in Edmonton. And I was like, that's a pretty, that's a pretty unique experience to see from here to here, it all come together. Yeah, I love that. And I, I, I especially love of, in all of that, what you didn't necessarily say, but what came through in that response is that you're definitely a coach because you remember names from 1985 and, and yeah. roll them off as if it was, you know, last week. 
And I think all of us who have coached for any length of time can do that mm-hmm. with our teams and, and yeah. remember picture games and picture conversations yeah. and picture experiences. And, and with that, you know, what, you know, I'm assuming that's one of your, your favorite things, but what are, what are some of those favorite things about coaching for you? Just, you know, a couple things. I know you could probably go on for two and a half hours talking about this, but you know, what are a couple of those things that are just your favorite things about coaching when done really well? The longer you're in this, Phil, the the more you understand that your knowledge, technically and tactically, as much as that evolves, it's the management of the players. It's sometimes it's a connection. It's the way you connect with people. Other times, it's the way that relationship kind of develops. I think uh, that's one of the most incredibly unique things about coaching. You hear it with all coaches, right? College coaches, basketball coaches, youth coaches. Uh, and and it, it's it, it's about it's about dealing with people. It's about groups of people. It's about dealing with individuals in the context of a group activity in the sport of soccer. And so it's very complicated. It does it doesn't have a lot of smooth edges on it all the time, you know, probably 50% of the time. It's like, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to sort this out? How are we going to, it doesn't mean that even if you're successful, everybody is easy to get along with all the time or that you have a natural connection with, but there's something very, very special about that around sport. And, and it's, it's, it's worth mentioning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like that. I think that, you know, I feel like part of the reason I got into coaching was for the relationships, mm. you know, and it was inadvertent, you know, Ralph Polson's the reason I got into coaching full time. And I still blame him to this day for that. But, <laughs> but it, it was because of the relationships. It was like, Hey, there's a bunch of little kids over here that won't be able to play if you don't, if they don't have a coach and I need <laughs> right. you to do it. So right. I do it. And, right. you know, I don't know how many years later it's, it's become a passion and a, a lifestyle mm-hmm. and, a, and a love, but it's because of the the people for sure. Those relationships and, and, and the fun part of figuring out how to best connect with each different personality and things like that. I love, I love kind of how you dissected through that. And as you kind of navigate those things as a coach and now as, you know, I think as a coach, you are an educator, but now you're an educator of educators. What's kind of, what's kind of, what would you say is your, your, your why? Like what, what gets you up and gets you doing what you do? Why do you do what you do? What's kind of your life mission you'd say? Well, I think when I initially got involved in, in coach education, it was with John Kossaboon back in 84, 85. And, and of course at that time, a curriculum of whether it was a D license and E license was on about three pieces of paper. And, and even at that time, Walt Chiswitz, who mm. influenced so much of that, you know, he say, yeah, yes, this is the structure. Yes. This is the bullet points, but go teach them about, go teach coaches about the game. And I had this, I've always had, and I still do. I have a really healthy curiosity about how do we do that? How, where did you start? What was the process? It, I think when you were beginning out as younger coaches, you know, we're like, how do we get the players to do this? We think about the end first. Mm. We think about how do we get them to play faster? How do we think? Well, that's where you want to get to. So what are the processes? And when I started to interact with 
accomplished coaches that had either worked with me or I had gotten a chance to work with them, I started to put two and two together about, well, this is a methodology. There's now there's a, you know, five different ways to do this, but there's still structure around it. It goes from general to specific, easy to difficult. How do we take this, break it down and then build it back up? And I became, and I still am very inquisitive about that process. How do we teach this? How do we put players at whatever level in an environment? How do they respond to the environment? What do they learn from the environment? They're not always learning from me as a coach or whoever the coach is that's working with them. So I became, I became very, very, very interested in the coach education process because coaches are learning too. If coaches had static attitudes and a static base of knowledge, it'd be pretty finite, your shelf life, you know? And then combined with how do we work with people? How do we work with play in the training environment? The thing that you learn in club soccer that you don't learn anywhere else, or maybe as I was a state director of coaching, how do you work with parents, which are, hmm. you know, in the beginning, we all were like, well, forget about the parents, just coach the players and shut up, you know, and <laughs> the, the longer we're in this, we're like, no, no, we have to talk to the parents. And the more experience we get, the more confident we are about how to talk to them. You know, if you want to, in some ways, you want to reach the kid, you got to reach the parent. You can't, it's just the way the relationship is. And for sure, life in America supports that. So you can't just say, just drop your kid off and go, yeah, that's great. But I just think there's a need to be able to connect with those people as parents to get them educated too. So I think the whole process for me revolved around just my curiosity and always thinking about, well, how do we do this a little bit better? Or how do we do it a little bit different in order to make it not only a better experience, but more effective for the people we're working with? That goes for staff too. I think when you're a director, you influence staff, you influence others. So, you know, you, you can't coach every kid in the club. You can't coach every team in the club. So you have to invest in people and you have to connect with them and you have to influence them and let do, them find ways to do their work also. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I love what you're talking about there. Just the different aspects of the, the day the different roles, the different people that are involved in all of this, that it, you can't just say, Oh, they're over there. They're not part of it. Every, every, you know, it's that systems theory, right? Everything that happens affects the other and vice versa. Yeah. And it's a, it's yeah. a, it's a, you know, a dynamic process, right? And if we do it well, we will include everyone and we will make sure everyone is, is trained up and educated on, on what to do, not just tell them what to do, but to help right. them understand why it's important that they do X, Y, Z. And so, you know, you, you've kind of touched on some of these things, but I, I'm really interested to hear from you on this with all your experience in, in history with soccer in the U.S. I mean, you were involved, be, you know, right around when I was born is probably when you were getting involved. And, and it was, you know, well before Paul was born because he's super young. But anyway, I, 
what what are some of the you know as you, from your perspective in that in all that experience? What are some of the best things about U.S. soccer today, from from youth to pro? And what are some of the things that you would change if you could take a magic wand and change them today? Wow, that's you know the magic wand thing. I'm good at you know <laughs> I, I'm really good at that. I, I think what's been interesting is to see the growth in numbers. I mean, and just, it's a popular sport, just recreationally for, it's got a lot of allure. I can also remember like moving to Texas for graduate school in 1983, even in Dallas where we had players coming out like the Agus brothers and Chad Deering and all of these all really good players, but you could also get just a little bit off the beaten track and have a, a parent or some football, you know, American football coach or aficionado say, son, you're just playing. Why do y'all call that football? It doesn't have the points on the end, you know? And so seeing the evolution of that, like you, you turn on streaming TV, soccer's on. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you can not only see, I'm amazed when I have some spare time, I, I'm not I'm not only watching like the Bundesliga or the EPL, you can watch Bundesliga too. Mm -hmm. You can mm -hmm. watch, you know, Belgium, the 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 Jupiter League, but you can watch the second league. I, I, it's amazing to me. So it is to see it arrive at that big, broad brushstroke level is and to see the number of kids playing to see like like where I grew up in Northeastern Ohio, we didn't have high school soccer. We, we didn't have it. And so now to see all of the high school environment being populated, boys and girls, I think it's, it, you know, it's pretty impressive that there's, there's trade-offs for everything, isn't there? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think the, the trade-offs now are, we have all of these resources. We have all of these youngsters playing. We have MLS Next Academies. We have the GA, the ECNL. The... So I look at it, and I think one of the things we are right now is a downside. It's very fragmented. Mm -hmm. It's very fragmented. It's a big country. So when we try to apply some of these ideas and concepts. Montana is the size of Germany. <laughs> mm -hmm. Germany has seven states, seven national training centers, 20 Bundesliga one clubs, and 20 Bundesliga two. Hmm. Uh, uh, so we can't exactly take a model that works there and just go, that's the way to do it. That's, mm -hmm. that's the way. And we also get into this whole thing about similarities right well no uh, the first team plays this way well if the national team plays this way then the state teams are playing this way to which I, let's just say that's baloney the great uh differences you know if you go to eastern new york and connecticut and here we go we're jumping pressing we're playing through the air a little bit because of the conditions now we will be lucky now now we get turf fields and, uh, and that makes some sense. But then you would go to Southern California 
and or up in Northern California, and we get the beep, pop, beep, pop, beep, pop. Oh, really? Wow, this is aesthetically, it's a totally different. Then you go in the middle, you go to Texas or Chicago, and it it can be athletic. It can be so. I think w- with the hope of all this great synergy, it makes us all similar. It it there's not enough diversity in the way the game is being played to produce different players with different qualities. Uh, if we all want to put the ball on the ground and we can't really pay, play past one or two lines or we're not playing because people are pressing us and we're under duress, then we never get a chance to experience that. It's all pretty vanilla. And I think that's one of the things that are are we're subjected to a globalized view of the game now and the globalized view of the game is well everybody wants to play like pep mm-hmm. or everybody wants to play in this manner or in that manner and it gets to be pretty similar across the board everybody drops off nobody steps and presses nobody chases people around so i think that's kind of what we've developed into at this point. And we can even see it with our top level players. Like, thank goodness. I mean, we have guys playing in Juventus and Chelsea and big clubs. But when I compare them to 20 years ago with Landon Donovan or Clint or Brian McBride, I'm not sure we have a greater number of more more eloquently quality into the players that than we did 20 years ago. I think they're good players. I think they substantiate that. Nobody's going to pay Weston McKinney to play at Juventus if they don't think the guy has some value, and he does. But I don't – It's it's certainly not like our national team plays like we have – some special players. Now, who knows in the World Cup, as Greg leads us into the World Cup, this may all emerge. But to this point, it's like, well, we, we look all right, but there's there's still some factor of quality that is missing that maybe Belgium has with guys like De Bruyne yeah. and some of those players. So we hope, we hope these guys are young on the men's side. So maybe it's going to emerge on the women's side. It's going to be interesting because seeing the transition from the 99 team into the next 10 years, and then the next generation of players. And now the team is going to change again. Julie Johnson, Julie Ertz played for me a couple of years while I ran the Sereno club in Phoenix And she was on kind of the road, the wave in of that next generation of players. So it was fun to watch. But now I think we got another group coming in. And what's interesting about it is, wow, we're going into a World Cup year. So Mm -hmm. Vladko obviously has big decisions to make about how does he keep enough veterans, enough leadership, enough chemistry in the team, but change enough pieces that by the time he gets to the world cup in Australia, that that team's ready to go. Yeah. That's 
There's so much good stuff there. We could talk for hours on all of that. The One of the things you said reminded me of it's, you know, everything has its shadow, right? So this idea of we want to fit it, you know, into this box of how we want to coach. And I think what we're yeah. doing, and I'm seeing this, I do disc training all over the country, and I'm seeing this with a lot of the colleges, is we are, I think we're coaching out of the game the creative, innovative players because they just want to have fun and do fun stuff and just enjoy life and enjoy the game and just do things that are different and try things new. And you talked about playing pickup games and that's where you dry a lot of that stuff. And now everything is so, so organized, so disciplined. So we do this drill, then this drill, then this drill. We do these thing, this thing, this thing, this thing. And that's the flip side of the, the education and the technical and the tactical. And it sometimes takes out that creativity that we need in yeah. the game. I mean, yeah. you look at these guys. I mean, all these moves that we have are from these creative players who tried something new. Yeah. And we praise those things. Yeah. And yet we tend to, if somebody were to do something new, they probably, there might be some pushback on that. I don't know what your thoughts on that are. Well, it all comes down to, I think, coaches, whether they're grassroots coaches or they have a playing background, and then they get in and they do their diplomas and licenses and they seek out some education. And what we have to be really aware of in education is coaching is not a recipe. I think if it was a recipe, then, you know, we could, we could have got my grandmother, you know, and, she, you know, she, she immigrated from Italy. She saw a little bit of, she used to like to remind me, she, she remembered the 1934 World Cup. You know, <laughs> so, you know, if we would if we could do this with a formula, then anybody with any kind of inkling. But I look at coaching and I look at cooking now, you know, mm -hmm. you get a guy like Paul Prudhomme when he was alive or Emeril Lugazi. I could take his recipe, but I cannot. <laughs> and I'm a pretty good cook, but I am not going to produce something like Emeril. It's just yeah. not going to happen. So we have to be aware of when we educate coaches. We have to give them the wherewithal to be able to interact with the players, to be able to think pragmatically about the game rather than uh, not only the telling, do this, do that, but to understand that, you know, it doesn't all fit together with smooth sides. This process we call player development we, we talk about it like, you know, the rainbows come out and the butterflies. And <laughs> there are some, th there can be some pretty rough sledding mm -hmm. in player development where kids, players at every level do this, you know. Yeah. So we have to prepare coaches to be able to understand that coaching is not a recipe. You know, I don't care what kind of game model you use. I don't care if you divide it up into thirds of the field. I can, you can look at MLS or even EPL teams or Serie A teams. And those coaches sometimes for, for some of the same reasons that college coaches and youth coaches struggle with it, they struggle with it because they, they, they don't have the players. They don't have the ability to convey the plan. They don't have the ability to adjust. Mm -hmm. Is that, you know, we, we construct these things. 
We have a construct in our mind. This is the way the activity goes. Well, part of the coach's value is when the players don't respond or the space is too big or it's too small or it's not narrow enough, it should be long, or the the conditions. You know, maybe the game needs to be played in two touches rather than running with the ball. So the coach needs to be able to coach and they need to be able to manipulate the environment. In the game environment, it's a different, you know, similar but different kind of analysis. How does the coach, whether they have, you know, 10-year-olds playing seven aside, 16-year-olds playing 11 aside, or Division three college players, how do you learn to analyze and adjust and coach in the game environment? It's it's. It's very testy in our game. One of my best friends from high school is a very accomplished basketball coach in Ohio. His name's Bob Krasancic. And he's won state titles. And I I'd ask I'd ask Bob, I'd say, what would you do if you couldn't call a timeout? <laughs> or or if your substitutes just in a half, if a kid came out, he couldn't go back in context of a half and you see the eyes eyes rolling around you know and i said well just imagine trying to do that with of your 11 players on the field their 11 players on the field and the field's not 94 feet long like a basketball court mm-hmm. the field is 110 yards long mm-hmm. and the guy or gal that you really need to talk to is 70 yards <laughs> away on the other side and you're like man i'd give anything for that person to be right here <laughs> So, you know, we, we have to, we, we need to be able to, to mentor coaches and to influence them so that in the context of their own personality, in the context of their own skin, they learn how to operate in there. Yeah. I, yep. I, I, I love that. And I think that I don't know how many times, even as a young coach, I did this and I've seen it over and over again. I would walk away from a session and go, you know what? practice wasn't good today. The kids just couldn't, couldn't do the session. They couldn't do the drills. And and now I look back and I'm coaching coaches and I'm like, okay, make an adjustment. It's not, it's not yeah. always the kid's fault yeah. that the drill doesn't go well. It's, right. it's maybe more the coach's fault that we didn't make an adjustment so that we could actually achieve what it is we're trying to achieve in the, in the drill itself or yeah. put it to the game in the match itself, being able to, I love what you said, use your personality. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, yeah. coaches want to be like pep. Well, you don't have pep's personality. And you're probably not as smart as Pep either. Let's just, mm-hmm. you know, we like the innovators. We yeah. like the innovators, but we don't yeah. want to be an innovator. We want to be yeah. a copier. We want the yeah. recipe. Like you said, I love, I love all that. I'm a big proponent of like, let's yeah. take bits and pieces from people that, that we admire and we like, and let's make it our own yep. and, and then continue to make adjustments based on the players I have. I don't have Pep's players. I've yeah. never had Pep's players. I will never have Pep's players. No, exactly. <laughs> nobody know? has Pep's so, players right now. No. Pep. Yeah. Nobody yeah. has exactly. Pep's players. But but I think those are I hope that, you know, coaches, especially young coaches, maybe even veteran coaches that haven't gotten this. I hope they'll rewind that. Listen to that again, because those are those are really valuable words that you're that you're mm-hmm. giving to, to us, Dave. And I appreciate that. I, I'd like to dive in a little bit to to, to kind of what you're doing now with United Soccer Coaches. You know, I, I've been through coaching education and I know COVID put a spin on a lot of that with a lot of it's kind of going online now. And there are probably some good advantages to that. But tell us, you know about your, your new role with United Soccer Coaches. Tell us about the training ground that I think is just coming out. Yep. Just tell us a little bit about what you're doing and what, what all that's about. Well, 
you're right. COVID has overly influenced the deliverer of everything. And you can see it in secondary education. You can see it in elementary education. Plus, it's not like technology was not great, gaining a bigger and bigger foothold. Either that's good or that's bad. It depends on sometimes on how we use it, who we use it on. So my role here is a little bit more strategic. Obviously, there were some qualities that allowed United Soccer Coaches, formerly the NSCAA, to create and deliver coaching education through the 70s, 80s, 90s, and into the pre and into the pandemic and and be very, very prolific. If prior learning is is important in anybody's evolution, then our prior forays and and contributions to coaching are are pretty well noted. But the world has changed. So one of the things I did strategically in my role, along with working with our director of coaching education, Vince Gansberg, is that break the country up into smaller, more manageable geographical regions. So right, right now, you're not going to find that many coaches. 20 years ago, somebody would fly from Salt Lake City to North Carolina to go take a coaching course. Mm -hmm. But technology has changed that a little bit. Let's be honest, the economy, when it vacillates, you know, I look at soccer coaches and they have to put gas in their tank. They got to put food on the table and take care of their families. It's like, I don't know how much disposable income is, is there. So technology can help us with that. So our blended formats where rather than sticking people in a classroom, being able to teach, instruct, and educate in an online environment, and then be able to, on the back end, get together for a Friday, Saturday, Sunday to deliver the in-person portion. And that in-person portion is so important. I think that over the past five years, I've, I've taught online courses in sport management with Indiana University. They probably are in the top five or six of sport management programs in the country. But a lot of that was done online. So for me in the beginning, it was a challenge. Okay, how do I do this? How do I make it more? How do I connect the information rather than just throw a lot of information? How do I actually educate? So now I look at it and I've had several years of experience with it. And I'm like, we can't, we can't expect the same kind of outcomes, learning outcomes, especially in the online environment that you give in experiences and personal interaction when you're in person. Reality-based. Reality is defined by the game. Uh, it's defined by personal interaction. There's a huge value in that in how you interact with your colleagues, how you interact with the instructor. It's just a big piece of that. So dividing the country into smaller geographic areas 
developing staff within that so that not only do coaches who are looking at education at United Soccer Coaches don't have to travel very far, plus we're dealing with the the convenience of time by blending it, and then we hold the cost down by doing that. Now, you know, the challenging thing is, is even in a country, when you break it down into 13 or 14 regions, you know, I was just trying to keep it to within like four or so hours of driving. I thought that was pretty good. And then in some of the places like where regions are challenged out West, you know, it's Texas and Oklahoma. That's our, our education region. Well, that's a long way, especially if you're in the panhandle. Well, but the region right next to it is Albuquerque, four hours away. So you, you don't have to go to Dallas, six hours away. You can, we can have our staff, or I should say our coach developers, our coach educators work across regions where geographically it makes more sense. So that's, that's where we're at right now. Our emphasis is in delivering it not only in a two weekend, but also in a blended format, but getting some semblance of in-person. We're also adding a new course above the premiere, which is Modern Trends of the Game. So Paul Marco and a whole group of our senior coaches, Shellis Hyman, they have put in about a year's worth of work so that it is a Modern Trends experience uh, whatever the modern trends are right now it's pressing and counter pressing we're going to introduce elements of man management player management team management from real experiences paul payne who is a college coach a long time so they bring experience which is incredibly important so that when we do things like man management modern trends such as pressing, gag pressing, developing a game model, periodization, the differences between periodizing in the college game versus the pro game or the youth game. That's where the value is, is in that experience. So we're very excited about this new course and delivering it. And what we're going to do with this course is also organize it around MLS USL preseason. So that now, again, what is reality-based? Reality-based is the game. So what better place could we hope if we have four or five MLS teams into a location being able to see training, perhaps access and interact with coaches, watch competitive games, yes, provide some of our own model training sessions. To me, this this not only connects to reality, but reinforces that as much as we learn about how to coach or about the game technically, it's not an academic endeavor. Yes, we can learn. Yes, that's an important part of it. But we must also interact. And we must also then, if we're going to learn how to adjust, we learn how others adjust. We learn how others modify what they do. We learn how others kind of reinvent themselves and adjust to different players or 
different trends of play in a particular league or competitive level. So I think all this is kind of based in reality, and that's what we're trying to facilitate here with our coach educators and our educational programs. Yeah, it sounds sounds amazing. It sounds awesome. I love that you're not getting rid of, you know, you're not getting rid of that interpersonal piece of it because it's no. so so key to, to 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 what we do. But I think some of the some of the you're kind of talking about it, some of the best things I've seen in, in coaching sessions or training is that interaction of of whether you're coaching or someone else is coaching and you sit down and you talk about, hey, why did you make that decision? Not not accusing, but hey, why did you make that decision? Yeah. And sometimes you're coaching a team you don't know in those environments. So, well, if that were my team, I coach at the college level, the pro level. And these are things I have to deal with when I'm making those decisions. Sure. You don't get that watching a video, you know? Mm-hmm. So those are really, really valuable pieces. And I'm excited to see how that really take off. What's really interesting is that we have so much more access to information. It's mm-hmm. good because you can go onto YouTube, you can go onto coaching platforms, That's why I'm excited about the training ground, our new learning platform. It's very exciting. I mean, we had always had kind of a repository of sessions and Mm -hmm. information on the old website, but our CEO, Jeff Van Dusen's idea was well-founded in that we want to become and grow into being the trusted source of information. So we needed an online vehicle to do that with. And the great thing about this online platform is it's not only sessions, it's it's also articles. It's also career development. It's also like I put together a consortium of psychologists like Dan Abrams mm-hmm. and Donna Fisher, Paul McVeigh. So th- they they now produce content for us. So rather rather than always just going to YouTube, we have that. Put together a group of goalkeepers that are our goalkeeping aficionados. Danny Gaspar, Todd Hofford, both people that have spent a lot of time in the professional game and with national teams and internationally, Greg Moss. So that's our goalkeeping consortium. They'll produce... And we're going to, I'm going to create several other groups that are going to produce that content. So the training ground is going to become this very wide swath of information. Some of it will be about soccer for the grassroots coach or just the the coach and the players that are playing just to play and evolve and enjoy. And then some of it is going to be geared towards performance. The next group of performance coach, there's a group of performance coaches that I'm going to be putting together. So being able to make sense of the physical components of preparation for age groups who are restructuring our education for that. We have a performance model right now that a group of our performance coaches have done a really good job. Now I want to make it more specific so that we can not only teach them about principles, we can distinguish between genders, some gender specificity. And now how how do they use technology? What is the technology telling them? Almost anybody can get a huddle. Almost anybody can get a veo. 
you know, not still catapulting some of those wearables are a little bit, they're a little bit pricey, but it's all going to happen. It's all going to get integrated. So teaching coaches as soccer coaches, not making them exercise physiologists, teaching them, what does this all mean? How do I interpret it? How do I use it? So all of this is kind of coming together with education. We're really, really excited about it. Yeah, definitely. And on that note, I mean, uh, I, as I as I mentioned earlier, very very involved in the training on the personality side of things. Is that included in there? I know sports psychology is there, and yeah. it's a little. A lot of people don't know the the differences between some of that. But but what? How is that incorporated? And if at all, is that is that part of the the training ground? Yeah. No, I think I think that the psychologists, or you know, sometimes I wonder what to call them. You know, I mm-hmm. you know, it's psych sports psychology that has a sort of aura around it. Is it mental skills? Well, it's it's all of it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Really, it's all of it. It's how how we're now hooked into human wellness, player health, and well being. Teaching coaches about that and the value of it and the importance of it and what it all means. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I mean, because we, we focus so often and this is something I, I actually get you know somewhat frustrated about because I think we lose a lot of people in this, but we focus on gender differences, but we don't focus a lot on personality differences because yeah. and we yeah. actually consider, you know, if a, if a guy exhibits a sensitive spirit, we say, oh, that's soft. And, you know, stop being, you know, why are you acting like a girl? Yeah. And it, it's no, that's a that's his personality style, right? And so how do we get the most out of them? If we really want to get the most out of our players, we need to understand those things. So that was just something that that's a yeah. big, you know, big part of my heart. And and I, I just you know, I've coached boys, girls, men, women, and you know, people are people to a certain extent. There are sure. gender differences, yes, but I yes. think we often attribute to gender what's actually should be attributed to personality styles. Well, so, you know, and it's maturity too. Yeah. When you're absolutely. dealing with kids, I mean, like Boys are a lot less mature mm-hmm. than girls. Yep. Girls, the difference in maturity, psychological maturity, the ability to, you know, co- you know, not cognitively, but being able to have a conversation with them and what you talk about, it's very different. Boys are, and maybe boys now have gotten even a little bit more bubble wrapped, you know? Yep. So I think, maturity is a big part of it rather than, well, this is what we want it to look like. Well, the kids that you have at this point in their maturity, and they might be strapping athletes, but cognition, decision-making, problem-solving, it's, you're like, what's wrong with it? What's their, their kids? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Sounds like my house, Dave. Yeah, I know. Like yeah, I was going to say, you know, with four and five kids, we, yeah, you're describing our households. I think I have three girls mm-hmm. and two boys and that maturity. We say our, our uh, now 14 year old, when she was about seven, she would have been the one to run the house if we had any issues. So, yeah. you know, she was, she's always the old soul and the mature, you know, and so even, even without their, you know, they're all wired so differently. And that's, that's what we need to figure out, right? As coaches, as parents, as everything. So, all right. So we have a, a few more questions for you. The first is, you know, this is really what, you know, the, 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 what we love talking about on the show, everything that we've talked about today as well. But, you know, how have you applied lessons learned directly from the game? So the lessons you learned playing soccer just from the game itself, how have you applied those lessons into your coaching and other leadership positions over the years? 
Well, you know, in order to do that, you also have to come to terms with not only what you've learned, but also the mistakes you make, because mm -hmm. that's part of the way that we we learn about things is we learn from our mistakes and we then change and modify what we are doing. And the as long as you're able to come to terms with that, as much as we say, well, no, that that worked out. That was good. That was you know good. The, the thing I take away from the game is like, you know, it supports the idea that you kind of get what you work for, but also that just like life, the game, in it from a result standpoint, it can be a little bit unfair, mm. you know? And so you did everything that you could, you know? The complexity of this is that I got 10 other people on the field and four or five people on the bench, and we all have to make this work together. And it teaches us, you know, cooperation. It teaches us how, yes, we have, we have to lean on each other a little bit. And so I think those are all very, very important and instrumental when you look at whether you're looking at pros or you're looking at kids, you know, sometimes we learn about, we, we learn things that are valuable from not great experiences. And we have to be able to plug into that and understand what what we're able to take from it. It's great to get results all the time. Sometimes, you know, the longer you're in coaching, you can look at games and you're like, we win today. We get a result, but we did mm -hmm. not play very well. A lot of things either fell our way or we were playing against an opponent that was not very good today. Right. And we become over self-indulgent about we're good. I mean, that's, that's one thing in our environment as Americans, it's like when, when you say to kids or you say to players in general, you say, Oh, that was good. Our immediate reaction is well, I'm there. Well, mm -hmm. I'm there. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's not the way it works. You may be there today, but you have to show up tomorrow. You know, so I think this whole idea, one of the things I've taken away from it is like, because of that, I want to be an efficient enough teacher and coach dealing with players, dealing with other coaches. I want to do a job. I'm on a one day contract. And so I want to do well enough that because of what I did today, they can see the value of it and a little bit of learning and educating happens. And they will say, hey, we're going to sign you for another day. Yeah, to, to me, that's, that's an important asset for me. So I think we can learn a lot of those lessons from the game. They're not always easy either. Mm -hmm. It's not always like, and you both know, it's like, you can feel disappointed. Mm -hmm. You can, you know, well, if you weren't disappointed, that that means you weren't putting very much into it. You know, it wasn't that important to you. So I think this this teaches us how we're, we want to apply ourselves, apply our time, apply our efforts. It's not only the physical work part of it, it's the emotional investment that we put into it. And that nothing is 
for certain. Nothing, yeah. it, nothing is for certain. So we're going to play a men's World Cup here in, in less than 100 days. And, you know, there are people making odds in Vegas or there are people saying we're going to do well as the United States or we're not going to do well here. But there's only one way to find out and that that we we play the games and we see how we're going to be. You have to play the games. Yeah, I like that. I, like, I know that concept, you know, it's been said a hundred different ways. I don't think I've heard it said this way, but I like it as, you know, I'm on a one day contract, you know, live today to its fullest. I'm on a one day contract. Yeah. I like that a lot. And I'm sure there's a lot of overlapping from, you know, learning from the game and your leadership, you know, in your career, a lot of overlap to how you probably took yeah. things from the game into your yeah. own home as well as you're mm-hmm. raising children and, and, and all of that, anything different that you didn't mention about, you know, that there would be different in, in, as you're, as you're raising a family. No, I think, you know, and Paul, you know, this firsthand, I think the difficult part of being a coach and you're coaching for a profession is that it takes time. It takes time away from your family. It takes time away from your kids. When I was in Phoenix, one of the one of the kids in the club, her father, who's from Western Pennsylvania, not very far away from where I grew up in Northeastern Ohio, younger than I, and he played football at Pitt, but he coached in the NFL quite a while. And he's like, hey, Simi, nice. work your tails off. And I was so shocked. I was like, well, what's so surprising about that? He's, you know, I mean, he's, we, you work like NFL coaches. I mean, you're there, you're breaking stuff down, you're talking to your colleagues about training and how to put age groups together. So it takes time. And time is the one commodity, you know, like when your kids need it and your family needs it, coaching is taking it out the other side of the house. You know what I mean? So being able to manage that is not always very good. And sometimes it's easy sometimes to treat your family like, you know, I don't want to say like players, but you, you know, you want things organized or you want things done in a certain manner. And you, you know, you fall into the same thing we fall into with our players, which is we start telling you what to do. I'm going to tell you what to do here. And it doesn't always work out. So I think it's very complicated. I look at young coaches who have a couple of kids. You were there once, Paul. And it's just like, and I'm sure Phil was too. And it's just like, how do I make this all work? So I think the the real thing to learn is that time is the one commodity that like kids, your family, or the kids you coach, the application of time with people, it's like when they need it, when when they need it, we're we're giving it. And I think that's really complicated. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Like that. My Marcy's mom, my mother-in-law used to always say she, you know, she had eight children, Marcy's the youngest of eight. Yeah. And they always would joke, Who's your favorite child? And her answer was always the one that needs me the most. And that kind of goes to your awesome. thing of time, right? Like yeah. you yeah. put your time where where it's needed most. And I, I think yeah. even as as a coach to separate it. That's probably true with your players too. You know, oh not not God, that they're yeah. always your favorite player, but no, there's certain players you got to put more time into, and 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 then you can take that into your home as well as 
Mm-hmm. I think that's that's very valuable stuff there, Dave. I appreciate that. Yep. Yep. No, it's it's and sometimes, you know, with like your players, it's like it's it's the kid who's hard to get along with, or <laughs> you don't have a really good connection with. They're not playing very well. It gets prickly, you know, and I'm sure you being in the college game, you know, it's really hard because if you get unfit, if you get hurt, and your 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 team is zinging along on the field, it's hard to find a way in your conference play. Now you're in the meat of it, or you're in the first round of the NCAA's. It's hard to get somebody else back on the field, and it's mm. the kind of conversation. So when somebody comes to you, not where everything is going well, but somebody comes to you who you know they're not in the best place. It's hard to shut that off and go like, I don't have time for it right now. I got other things to do, you know? <laughs> yeah. Same thing with kids in your family. It's like sometimes, you know, kids can go through phases where it's like, oh, this guy's really being, this this kid's really being difficult right now. And then all of a sudden thing, you know, what 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 happens is they all of a sudden, they they want more of your time or they, and maybe that's the thing that gets them to come around. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But time is, they we don't get a chance as coaches and we don't get a chance, you know, when you have children of your own to just go, no, nah, I don't feel like it right now. <laughs> that is very, very true. And anyone who is parented would be lying if they said that they didn't couldn't relate with that often. Yeah. And especially the more kids you have, the more and more true that is. All right. Last question we have for our guests, and we will ask it to you now. What have you watched, read, or listened to that has most impacted your thinking on how soccer explains life and leadership? It's an interesting connection in sport. You know, sometimes I grew up in a generation where the leaders were the mayors or the generals Mm. or the president or or the congressman or the director. And the thing that I've learned is that that's not necessarily the case. The people with the titles, the title doesn't really define your role as a leader. So I've I've read some things, you know, the two years prior to coming to United Soccer Coaches, I followed the advice of some of my former players who are now colleagues and one gentleman who's now a PhD and was a principal at Prosper High School in Prosper, Texas. And I went and I got my teaching certificate, did all my online stuff. And so I learned in that environment an awful lot in two years about leadership that I couldn't really learn in club soccer. So we read things like chop wood, carry water. Very, very simple, but but really good stuff. And you can do that. You can share that with players too. You can share mm-hmm. that with your staff. It, it's that easy to read. There are a number of things that you just can ascribe to online that's just all about not just concepts and ideas, but snippets of, of from from Dan Abrams, okay, Paul McVeigh. I mean, they they take some real life experiences. I I love that because stories 
tell it all, and then it applies to a concept or to a principle. So I think there's, I've been the one Brett Ledbetter, What Drives Winning. They, of mm. course, create some content for our, our, our training ground, the training ground. And some of the conversations with the guests that they have in that environment, MBA coaches, high school coaches, call it Baylor, Baylor, the, the event that I was at in Dallas, the Baylor football coach was there. And it's just very moving because it's all tied to something that is in their storyline and that they can convey. Yep. Yep. Definitely. So much good stuff. I remember that book that you referenced there, that uh, Chop Wood Carry Water. It brought me back to the interview we had with Corey Close, who's the UCLA basketball coach. And and she talked a lot about that, that book and all those concepts. And as you said, it's just simple. There's simple, really Very cool, simple. simple things. And fortunately, we had Dan Abrams on this show. He's got so much good stuff. Oh, um, I mean, you talk to him, you feel like you're getting a PhD. So um, that's, <laughs> that's good. And, you know, he says he's, he's demystifying and bringing it down to my level. I'm like, I think you need to keep bringing it down. Like, let's go down to third grade <laughs> or something for you. I don't know right. what they teach in the UK, but apparently it's, it's a little higher level. But, but anyway, but there's so, so much good stuff. As you said, there's so much to learn and to go outside of our discipline to be able to learn these things I think is so so important and you kind of hit on that there and that in that response there Paul you got any parting words sometimes it's the simple things we need to pay the most attention to right sometimes even as coaches we make things way too complicated uh it gets down to the simple things but Dave listen this has been an education in itself just having some time with you and appreciate you taking time out of what's a busy season as you uh, prepare for everything you're doing with the training ground and with the, the convention coming up here pretty soon. Just appreciate your time and your wealth of experience and how willing you are to share all of that. And just, uh, just really appreciate your time, Dave. Well, I want to thank you guys. You guys do a great job with this podcast and you delve into issues that people ought to be listening to. I mean, it's important to understand technically about our game or any game, but, the thing that you're talking about is so impactful in terms of sport and its attachment to leadership. It's, it's very, very good. So I want to congratulate you guys on the good work you do. Yeah. Well, thank you. And thank you again for being a part of the conversation. Very, very much appreciate you, what you're doing, what no doubt you will continue to do. United Soccer Coaches, very, very appreciative of of all that United Soccer Coaches is doing in the different committees. You know, Paul and I are part of a few different things. And I'm I'm just excited to continue to grow in that in that relationship as well. So thanks again, Dave. Thank you. Yeah, all right, folks. And, and with that, we are going to wrap up yet another episode. We've gone a little long, so we're going to just point you to the show notes to find out about Warrior Way Soccer, to find out about coaching the bigger game, any of the disc training, anything else you want, all the links that of things we talked about on this show today. Be able to contact Dave as well and United Soccer Coaches. We'll have that there. As always, we hope that you're taking all that you're learning on this show and it's help, and you're using it. You're taking it and you're using it to help you to be a better leader, a better coach, a better spouse, a better parent, better in all of your relationships and continually reminding yourself that soccer does explain life and leadership. Thanks a lot. Have a great week.